Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. You know, last, last week we did, we talked about um, really the history, really the, the biblical history of the wise men from Matthew 2 that actually showed up a year after Jesus was born and gave a bunch of money to Mary and Joseph. And I can't imagine, I was even thinking, out. I was out on a run this morning, I was thinking about like, man, everybody's having to be numbered. Mary and Joseph, you know, Joseph is, is trusting Mary, he's trusting the angel, so he's trusting God. Go to Bethlehem, they go there, there's no, there's no provision, there's no room, there's no hotel they can stay in, they're staying in a, in a barn to have, like this is the most important package of all time and there's not even an open door for us to stay anywhere. Like that doesn't, this doesn't seem right. This, surely this can't be God. And it's like, but the humility of the shepherd and the humility of God, which was only seen, the only people that even saw that it was happening was the shepherds and they were told. Like the enemy's looking, lurking, trying to destroy the possibility of the Messiah and nobody even knows that he's born except for some shepherds and it's because they were told that he was born. They were told out keeping their flock at night, you know, not even a blue collar job, a no collar job. People that weren't even looked at as, as successful in life and the angels come up basically having a party in front of them, in front of them, singing glory to God in the highest. You know, I mean, this, this peace and this goodwill to man, like this victory has happened. I was like, victory? He hasn't even walked his life out, but there was something that, it's not for today, but if we could see what the incarnation really did, it was almost like a, a reverse poison that was going through mankind and they knew it had been accomplished and it had come. And so these shepherds are like, hey, go and find this baby. He's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And they came and they found him. And it was just as, just, as they, just as the angels had told them. And it was this huge, incredible thing. There was a, a heavenly choir or party or concert over the thing. And yet nobody even saw it coming. The only people that knew that it had happened were wizards from the east, yes. you know? Right? We, we, we joke about that, but the word magi is, is Matthew 2. It's like, you know, there, there came wise men from the east. It's like that word is magi, which means magic and means, means magicians. They would probably be people that we would judge as being new age and sorcerers and witchcraft and get behind me Satan. And yet they were the only people that discovered Jesus in that whole time. Well, there was the drummer boy. I don't know how he found out. Right? Everyone says that kid showed up. You know, I don't know if that's a rumor, though. It's not in the Bible, right? The best song in Christmas, if you ask me. You know? I am a poor boy, too. You know? You know? Okay. Um, yeah, so it's not in the Bible. But listen, the only people that actually found him, and they found him by reading the stars. Like, whoa, now we're really getting off into some real witchcraft stuff some sorcerers you know that's that's who they were the spiritual if you can see the spiritual descendants of Daniel who was the chief of the magicians in Babylon over 500 years before that 600 probably close to 600 he was the chief of Nebuchadnezzar's wizards and sorcerers and he imparted the knowledge of God it's like we don't a lot of times I don't think we think about these things they're literally following a star and now people you know it's it's kind of common knowledge now, but they're following a star and reading, reading the sky in order to find this one who would be crowned the king of the Jews. Yes. 
and they're not Jewish, you know, they're Persians, uh, you know, and it's like Genesis 1.14 literally says that God said in the, that's like the third or fourth, third to fourth day of creation, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day and the night and let them be for signs and seasons and days and for years. And so the, you know, astronomy, not astrology, but they were able, the signs and seasons and days and years were, were read, you know, by reading the stars. Psalm, Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. You know what I mean? It talks about the stars. It says their line has gone out into the entire earth. The Apostle Paul quotes that exact verse in, in um, Romans 10. And it's just like these guys are actually walking in a level of revelation pointing to Jesus that no one actually saw coming. And I won't do it because I've done it in years past and we've, we've touched on it. But Revelation 12 says, it, it, it talks about the time of Jesus' birth. It says, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Being with child, she cried out in labor and birth pangs to give birth, and another sign appeared. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads, and his tail drew a third of the stars uh, out of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, who was ready to give birth, to, dev to devour her child as soon as, as soon as it was born. That child is capital C, if you look at it in Revelation. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron, of iron, and her child was caught up to God in his throne. And it's this, it's this really interesting passage about the birth of Jesus historically, but it's, it's literally written through a chart of astronomy. Now, not, obviously not astrology. That's a twisted New Age version of astronomy, but it's called astral prophecy in the Bible. And a lot of times, I mean... There's so many presentations. You can look at this stuff on YouTube or anywhere else. Almost all scholars actually agree with this. That the sign that appears in heaven, the woman, um, when you look at the star map, and I've asked this before. Have you ever seen one of those things they sell them on like Instagram or whatever? You can, you can order the map of the stars on the night your child was born or your, the night you proposed to your wife. You know what I mean? It's, it's easy to do. They just have a star chart map and they go over like for me it'd be like titusville florida october 24th of 1980 they can show you what where the star was what what phase the moon was in it's, it's not astrology right it's astronomy it's just they can that's how they can measure time that's how we measure our time yes. um, and so they have all these things but it's interesting because this chart or this what's written here in revelation 12 is is a map of the sky in jerusalem the night that jesus was born and are from Jerusalem, really. And, and, you know, the woman who, it's the constellation that they call Virgo, which is Virgo, she was clothed with the sun, which it was right in her belly. Um, the moon was under her feet, which was about a, an 80-minute window, actually, on one specific day, a little, over, a little less than 2,000 years ago. Um, the moon was under her feet. There was a garland of 12 stars, you know. There was a great and fiery red dragon, both Scorpio and a... And a uh, uh, constellation called Hydra was right there below her feet, below the moon as well. Seven diadems on his head, you know, the Pleiades, his tail drew the, a third of the stars of heaven. So it's like this, this chart, when you look at it on, on this thing called the um, ecliptic line, which is the line that our stars rotate when our, when, our, when our actual earth spins and that they rotate as we move around the sun, this exact 
um, verse, this passage, is an exact map of 3 B.C., September 11th, 3 B.C., the night that Jesus was actually literally born. And, you know, and, and there's a lot of people. I, I remember I lived with, I used to live with my cousin who was my roommate a long time ago. And before I moved there, he, his roommate was a professional soccer player. And he did this thing. I don't know if you've ever heard the, the journey of the Magi, of the magicians, where you can go to Jerusalem. You can fly to the Middle East and basically go on camelback and do a vacation. It takes like a few months to ride the, the path that the Magi allegedly came from the Middle East and how they came over from the east, land of the East and they came to Jerusalem and they came to Bethlehem. Um, you can actually ride that and track it. And so even scientists have done that, astronomers, scientists, to actually show a year after Jesus was born when they were following that star, Jupiter and Regulus were in retrograde and they actually superimposed each other. And so they made a really bright light in the sky. And that was this, to them, this magical sign that the Son of God was there and even that, it was inside of the constellation Leo. Um, you know, it's just all these beautiful things that are proven science that are actually in our Bible. You know, this isn't your Pilates teacher that's like, you know, it's okay to have thoughts about your ex-girlfriend right now because Jupiter's in retrograde and that's why you've lost your phone this week and your mind, you know what I mean? All the little horoscope, these little silly things people do. It's, it has nothing to do with that. It's actually science in the map of the sky as, as time was going by. And so that's, that's what's happening in this one year and this two year, if you look at Jupiter and Regulus, and, and this, this star that these wise men were following that they called the king star, which Jupiter was known as the king planet. Regulus is known as the king star, the brightest star and the brightest planet. And they superimposed each other. And that's what these boys, were. That's, what, that's what these wizards were following when they showed up and gave a bunch of money to Mary and Joseph. Maybe that's a little too much for a Sunday, but uh, I just think that it's very interesting but it's this reality that the serpent was there waiting to devour the woman's seed. And it's John, the revelator, that's writing the book of Revelation from the Isle of Patmos. And somehow he stepped into this level of knowledge, this fisherman, you know, that he's writing this vision and he's writing these things and he's, and he's stamping. Because 3 BC, September 11th of 3 BC, in, the, in those days, that was a Rosh Hashanah. That was an actual Jubilee year. That was all these special... This is a special time frame that Jesus was born that, that would mark the Davidic king. There was all kinds of really cool prophetic stuff that the enemy didn't see it, but the Lord birthed him right up under the enemy's nose. And a year later, these stargazing wizards, right, these wise men, magicians, magi, show up and they give him all this gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so, like we said last week, it's like this baby's paying our bills. You know, this, this young couple is being provided for out of heaven. And it's just like, hey, we can be afraid. How am I going to take care of this? How am I going to get here? Like, you know, you know Joseph could have been like, I'm, this is the trade of my father. Like, my father shops back in another town. Like, why am I here? Like, why are we, we're high, you know, why are we doing this? They're also super ashamed. Like, we had a baby. It looks like out of wedlock, but I promise you it's not. You know, it's like they're living in this life. And the reality of it is, is not to be uh, in fear and in humility and ashamed of what things look like, but just trust the Lord and follow Him in all things. And that's where they're at. And that's what they're living. And the provision of God is being brought to them. Not by people that are priests or that look like them, by people that are wearing uh, Babylonian garments. You know what I mean? Pers Persian clothes. The rich guys showing up and just bowing before your one-year-old, which is just like, this is weird, but giving you all this golden stuff. 
Then those guys had a dream, Matthew 2, that, that God told them like, hey, don't go back to Herod who's looking for this kid. Get out of Dodge, right? And then Joseph has a dream the next night, says, hey, time to go. Time to move to Egypt for a little while. Egypt? It's like, yeah, you need to be out of here. So the enemy's lurking, trying to creep, but they're always one step ahead of him, not because they're looking at what the enemy's doing, because they're listening to the Lord and being led of him through life. And it's the walk of the Spirit. I don't even know if they knew it was happening. Because right after that in Matthew 2, what happens? Herod realizes he was tricked by the wise men, and he says, I want to kill every single boy that's two years old and under in, in this whole region. And they, tried, and they did that. But Joseph and Mary had got out of Dodge on some magician's money and got out of town, had the provision to go stay somewhere else for a while till all that stuff went away, until that king died. Isn't that pretty wild? It's so cool. It's so very cool. You know, Revelation 12, you know, it talks about the war that was in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting with the dragon and Satan thrown, thrown uh, the dragon thrown out of heaven into the earth and, and he came to make war against the woman who had given birth to the male ch child and, and he tried to spew a flood over the entire world and swallow him, but the earth opens its mouth and swallows him. It's, it's this beautiful kind of like, it's almost kind of trippy to read it. It's kind of hard to see and understand. But it's this, this reality that no matter what the enemy was doing, there was always provision for those who were following the Lord. Even when he spews this flood to drown out what God's doing, it made me think of, you know who it makes me think of is Moses who Moses was like a prophecy of what Jesus would be like, you know. And we see Moses, man, when you look at the book of um, Exodus, think about Moses, very similar. The Israelites had grown so much in Egypt that the Egyptians were starting to get worried, like, hey, they could take us over. They were, they were loading extra work on them. They were treating them terribly. They were treating them like slaves. But no matter what they would do, the Israelites would grow even more and more opposition actually even caused them to grow. So finally, what did the Pharaoh do? Remember, it's like he says, I want to kill every male child. So very similar to what Herod tried to do to snuff out Jesus. And so here's the enemy's plan to, sh to, to snuff out God's chosen people, to keep them subdued, to keep them in a different place. There was women that wouldn't go along with it. And so Pharaoh finally had to make a decree. And it's like, no matter... When any Jewish baby is born, if it's a girl, it's, going to be, it's fine. But if it's a boy, throw him in the Nile River. That's brutal. It's, it's so savage. We don't really think about these things anymore, I think. You know what I mean? It's just an old Bible story. But it's like the level of demonic attack to thwart, to cut, to cut life off um, from the jump. It's, one, it's savage and it's, and it's terrible. But God had a plan as well. And it's like the Nile River was not, this isn't uh, Lake, uh, Lake Palestine, dude. This ain't Lake Tyler East. You know, the, the Nile River was full of crocodiles. Dang, you know, dinosaurs that didn't go extinct. You know what I mean? Like monsters. Like I'm from Florida and where there's gators everywhere. But people around there, they call those like, like, swamp puppies and stuff you know what i mean they're not they're not a huge deal i mean they're big they're dangerous if you if you don't know how to be around them but crocodile is a whole nother animal it's a whole nother monster they go up to like nearly 20 feet like 18 footers at maturity and they're brutal and savage and and, and there's actually 
uh, doesn't matter, but in Florida right now, there's a, there's a kill on site because now crocodiles have made their way somehow into Florida. So it's like, if you see one, you get rid of it because we don't, we don't need that type of monster here. And it's like, dude, you got thousands of alligators. Yeah, we ain't worried about those little swamp puppies, We're, but we don't want, we don't want them, them, them crocodiles. And so it, it's funny, it's, it's a rabbit trail. I won't go down to it, but I was looking through it um, just recently, just the University of California was, was looking for mummies. And so they were doing all this stuff to find mummies uh, um, in the Nile. And so their archeologists were going there and they were fine, but they kept finding mummified uh, crocodiles. And they're like, what is this? And so they, were, they saw it as failure until they started to open them up and realized there was, there was papers and writings inside of these mummified crocodiles. And so uh, they ended up finding out that there was a crocodile god in Egypt, in, in the ancient Near East and Egypt, that was worshipped, but it was because crocodiles were so sketchy and there was so, there was so much trouble from them in the Nile River that they could take people out, they would mess stuff up, and so they would, they would make all kinds of sacrifices to their crocodile god to try to be in its graces so that it wouldn't attack and mess up their stuff, you know? And also the Nile River would flood in August and that's when it would rise and it would really be a blessing to all their crops and all the stuff that was in Egypt. And so they would sacrifice to this, this crocodile god for all that kind of stuff, you know? And, and so it's just this real weird stuff. But I was thinking like, my goodness, like they were sacrificing, they were throwing Jewish babies into the, into the Nile River. My kids are actually stayed in today, right? But it's like, that's, that's, that's what they were doing. And, and, and it's, it was, it's awful to think of, but we don't understand the Nile that gave them life was such a demonic symbol of death and terror and fear to where they created an old sub-religion to actually worship those gods to kind of, the Egyptians did, let alone they were throwing all these Jewish babies in that Nile. It was absolutely awful. So, it, you know, now when you think about it, when you think about Moses' mom, who he was born and it was like every, every male child is to be put to death, is actually to be put in the Nile. She hid Moses for what, three years it says in Exodus 2. And like she hid him, oh, I'm sorry, for three months and nursed him. And then she had a bright idea to, to put him in the Nile River. And we're like, whoa, what? Like, yeah, no, trust me, it's God's plan. Like, what? Like, no, 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 I'm gonna put him in a basket. Oh, a basket, okay, you're gonna put him in a basket but I'm going to put the basket in the Nile River. Like, no, you know what's in there? Like, nothing's coming out of there. And Moses' mom puts Moses in, in this river that all this death, all these sons had been, had been uh, killed, you know. And, and if you can even see the prophetic picture of it, the deliverer that, that arose out of Egypt went into the same river of death that all the other ones did, and he came, but he came back out, right? Because he, he, they caught him up in the... In the in the weeds of the Nile River, and it was it Pharaoh's daughter saw him and like had compassion on him, like I want to raise this baby. And um, Moses' big sister just happened to, to run up to her and be like, "Oh, you found a baby?" Uh-huh. You know, it's her little brother. She was just going to look to see if he made it or not. She's like, "I can look for one of these Jewish women who's nursing, and maybe he, she can nurse him." And they knew because so many Jewish women were losing their sons. Like, yeah, just go me fi- go find me one. So she went and found the baby's actual mother, her mom, and her mom got to nurse Moses until he was weaned, weaned off her. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. So it's like there's this beautiful provision that happened for him, even though the enemy, again, was spewing out death, was, was trying to have this demonic plan. He was floating down the river, Moses floating down the river without a care in the, in the world. 
still nursing off his mom. Actually, Pharaoh's daughter was paying his mom to take care of Moses. It's like, you get paid to take care of your own baby. It's like, wow, that's a, that's a great deal. And then once, once he was old enough, she released him to Pharaoh's daughter, right? And, and um, she raised him as her son. So he was, he was Pharaoh's grandson. It's brilliant. And you know the story of Moses. Kills a man, stuttering, wilderness, 40 years, comes back and gets meets by God. Next thing you know, he's, he's leading the people of God and on the mountain talking to God face to face, causing his face to glow. But I was just looking at this and I was looking at Revelation 12 and I was looking at the dragon. I was looking at all this, all this stuff and I was thinking like, man, there's so much fear and like, oh my gosh, the enemy's got a real plan. It's like the enemy doesn't have no kind of plan the way he had a plan against Jesus. And Jesus was one step, one step ahead of the way the whole time. I mean, the enemy had a, had a plan against Moses and, and, and couldn't, couldn't touch Moses. You know, he was the safest place for both of them was right under the enemy's nose. That's some King David. That's like, even, in the, even if I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear any evil. It's like, I'm not going to be led of fear no matter what. I'm going to follow you. And here Jesus is, what it's written in the scriptures of him as a, the firstborn of many brethren. You know, Someone who, who shows us who God is, but also shows us who we truly are. One who the apostle, the apostles say, we are, we're walking in this walk and, and, and their main goal is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. Amen. That we would step into our true attitude and nature in person. James, Jesus' half-brother, he's over there saying, like, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and go away, and, he, and he's only a hearer but not a doer, is like somebody who looks in a mirror and goes away and forgets what he looks like. In other words, like when you see Jesus, when you see his path, when you look at his words, when you hear the things that he says, when you see how he dealt with people, when you see the love that he had that he laid himself down for others and was exalted above every other name, it's like you're also seeing the path that you're called to walk. The Prince of Peace. You're seeing a path that we're never, that, that John the Baptist's dad talked about. They will serve him. This was about us. They will serve him without fear and in the righteousness and holiness that he has actually provided us for walk, to walk in. You know? Not fear, Adam and Eve. He's holding something back from you. God's holding something back from you. Do this and then you'll be like God. Eat this and then you'll be like God. Jump through these hoops, do these works, get this knowledge. And it's like, no, I'm called to actually know his voice and follow him. And then you look at all the scriptures of the word, like Proverbs 3, 5, it's like, trust in the Lord with all your, with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. It's like the trick is your own understanding is this hypervigilant mindset that's looking out for everything that could go wrong and trying to plot your life around that so that you can succeed. And it's like, hey, that's still being led by fear. How about instead, do what the Lord says, don't lean on your own understanding, and in all your ways, if you acknowledge Him, He will direct your path. Proverbs 3, 6. It's like, don't, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't... The wisdom of this world is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Golly, that's what James says, James 3. But he says the wisdom that, from, that is from above is pure and it's peaceable. And it's willing to yield. It's like, oh, what does that mean? It means you can, it's, there's peace in it and there's this yielded heart to the Lord. Like, hey, whatever you say is what I do. Well, I want you to go this direction. Well, I, well the forecast says that that direction is not a good direction right now. And it's like, well, that's not my forecast. I'm asking you to do this. You know, it's something to these, 
these things that, that even King David said, I keep the Lord always before me. He's at my right hand. I always stay in this focus. It's like Peter stepping out on water. Like he, he focused on Jesus. It's like he's seeing the one in whose image he was created. And by seeing him, he's walking on water just as Jesus was walking on water. But until the, the voice of fear came into his mind and caused him to look at his surroundings, look at where it was, then he started to sink and Jesus grabbed him. Which is so funny that Jesus grabbed him because what Jesus was walking on was so solid that it could carry his weight and Peter's weight to pull him up. You know what I mean? But it was this different reality he was beckoning him into just by showing it to him. Lord, if it's you, tell me and I'll come. Yeah, it is me. But the invitation wasn't, yeah, that it's me. The invitation is that he could actually see him doing it. And we're, we're called to see Jesus and called to see his life and caused, called to see the way he lived. And I'm like, oh yeah, even the valley of the shadow of death. Like none of this matters. And it's not even about being under attack and being fearful. It's like, I was thinking about this literally driving down Irwin today on the way here. Psalm 37, there's so much in, in Psalm 37. But one of them is like that, the wicked like plans to attack the righteous, but the Lord laughs at him like it's funny. And I don't think, I think we could definitely take that out of context and say like, ha ha, like he, he likes the enemy to attack. But what it is, is like the enemy was coming to attack the righteous, but the Lord was laughing all the way through it because he knew his plan was not going to be foiled. It's like, hey, they're, they're planning to kill him. They're planning to take him out. They're planning to do all these things to Jesus, to, to, Jesus, to the Messiah, to the Son. And it's, just like, it's hilarious to God because it's like, man, this is really going to blow everyone's mind. This brilliant plan is going to work. This home run, this grand slam, this thing is going to hit and it's going to blow everyone's mind and I can't wait for them all to see it. You know? We quote these scriptures, right, in Isaiah, like, no weapon formed against you will prosper. You know, it's like, but it literally says, I, I, the Lord, I've created the blacksmith, blows the coals in the fire. I've, I, it's like saying like, oh no, no weapon formed against me shall prosper though. It's like, yeah, no, no, like those bad guys, like I, I created them even before they turned dark. Don't be afraid of them. No weapon formed against you is going to prosper. No scheme of the enemy. Don't even give it, don't even give your mind to it. Don't let, don't even try to counter moves because that's still living in fear. Instead, hear my voice and walk with me. Trust my word above, above all things. You know what I mean? Follow through with what I've got. The, the importance of follow through, the importance of even that chapter of Psalm 37, like trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord who give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to him and trust in him and he will bring it to pass. All these, all these scriptures about trusting the Lord, resting in the Lord, wait patiently for him. Don't fret because of the evil do who prosper in his way. It's like all these scriptures, all these encouragements throughout the Old and the New Testament is like, hey, listen, I've already won this thing. And the, and the path for you is, is never to be led by fear. No matter what, be strong and courageous and follow me. And it's going to open up. And not only does he say that to us, but he came down here and he lived it as the most vulnerable package that anybody had ever seen or thought of right under the enemy's nose. And he was right one step ahead of him. And Jesus was never even sweating about it. He, he was never even, never even fretting about it everywhere he went. And I believe we're called to walk in the same way. Yeah. So, yeah.
that's the I think that's the 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 point of the message today or, or what I what I intended it to be had to be that the point of trusting in the Lord and resting in him and what that looks like is actually showing up and following through according to where he's leading you you know what I mean that vulnerability it's become a real popular term these days um, to some it's a bad word right to be vulnerable um, if you're in the military hey if we're in this city we're gonna be vulnerable to the attack from the West or like hey you don't want to do that but to us vulnerability means humility and transparency that we're not throwing up a guard because in, in encountering our fears counterattacking our fears or counterplanning around our fears because it causes us to change into an image under a person that we're not called to be. Amen. But vulnerability and rest is, is, is the walk of wholeness which trusts in the Lord above all things. And it's more important to walk through the issues of heart and the relational things that He has for us and the obedience that He has for us and follow Him than it is to try to counter anything else, if that makes sense. The importance of moving forward um, and the, the importance of stepping into everything we're called to. Because just like it says in Romans 8, all of creation is longing and groaning for the sons of God to be manifest. And that's maturity. Like all of creation is, is waiting for us to step into the reality of who we truly are, of our true identity. And Jesus is, is leading us into that path. His spirit is given to lead us into all truth. And um, it's, it's important. It's important for us as families. It's important for us as parents. Because the kids aren't going to get the things that we're saying. They're going to get what we're living in our life. You know what I mean? They're going to get how we're living. They're going to get if we're avoiding. If we're going to, golly, just off the record, man, I've known so many people who refuse to deal with the issues of their heart, whether it was fear and wound and all kinds of stuff, and their families are so incredibly damaged. And, 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 I, and in ministers that I've been around, that I've been connected to. Families, families are, end up being so totally damaged because, but they didn't deal with the issues. I said all the right things, but they didn't deal with those issues of the heart or just not stepping into purpose because of wounds and because of attitudes and fears and all this stuff. But it's like in not following the path, you're leading your family's path and you're not, we're not positioning them where they're called to be. You know, not dealing with the issue of the heart. I know friends, man, that I've had that, that their, their daughters marry guys that, are, that they hate, that are bums, that don't treat them well and all these things. But I also know that those friends of mine didn't walk through those same issues with, between them and their wife, and they treated their wife in a certain way, and now their daughters married people just like them because that's what the example that they had. You know what I mean? I hope that's not too much. Merry Christmas. I know it's a nice little, <laughs> nice little day for everyone, but... But it's like, there is no greater time. And this isn't one of those messages, the world's going to hell, man, we got to get people saved. You know, it's like not one of this, this, this is ridiculous. What, what this is about, though, is like, we're only given this much time in life. It goes by like a breath. And so when people are choosing to sit on a fence or, or, or being offended or, or choosing to allow wound to steer their life or keep them out of bounds or, or even choosing not to walk in the purpose and plans that God has for us because it's too nerve-wracking, oh, it's too vulnerable, I'm too scared to do it. You know what I mean? All these things, it's like, hey, there's much more that depends on these moves for you to make than just your comfort. 
It's your family. It's your legacy. It's people that need to see you unlocked and walking in this wholeness in the world. Like this is how we liberate the earth. All of creation is groaning for it. The huios, the mature sons of God. They're waiting for us to show up. Jesus, Hebrews 10, is waiting too. He's seated at the right hand of his Father, waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. It's like, this, it's not a time to, to like sit out and waste our time and, and be offended or let fear steer our life, man. It goes in a bad direction. But I'll tell you what, the path of the Lord, there's peace there if we commit to it. And it might be, it might be through the valley of the shadow of death, but it won't matter at all because he's there, his rod and his staff is there. He wants to raise the, the courage, the courageousness out of his family, out of his household, because all of the world is going to be liberated by these people that are instituting and releasing this new covenant reality onto the earth. But it's really up to us.